couple of weeks ago, someone said to me, Pastor, is it all right if you lift your hands up in uh, the course of singing some of our songs and hymns? Why would anybody want to ask me a question like that? Of course it is, because if you want to show the Lord your compassion and your enthusiasm and your dedication, then please feel free to do exactly as uh, you feel led to do so. And so uh, this morning we are continuing uh, to uh, just look at these core fundamental uh, doctrines that are repeated time and time again here in Acts chapter 1. We're repeated from uh, the Gospels and so on, and as we move from John's Gospel through into the Acts of the Apostles. And we recognize that it is important that we understand these fundamental doctrines before we begin to look at uh, chapter 2 of um, the Acts of the Apostles, where we come to the Pentecost experience that took place. And it just so happens that the Lord has uh, arranged things, God willing, uh, that today we look at the last of these core doctrines and finish it off next week, which is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the following week, which I think is Sunday, the 5th of uh, June, is Pentecost Sunday. So we're looking forward to being able to look at uh, Acts chapter 2 or beginning to look at Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost Sunday. So please do turn with me in uh, the Acts of the Apostles to chapter 1 and uh, we'll just read these verses which uh, we have read uh, time and time again and then we're going to turn over into Romans chapter 8 and read a few verses from there. So Acts chapter 1 starting at verse 9 through to 11 and then Romans 8 18 to 13. <clears throat> now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So that's the text that we're looking at uh, this morning. And now if you'll uh, turn with me, please, to Romans 8. And uh, we'll just read from verse 18. Suffering for glory. That's an interesting uh, title. And uh, this morning, forgive me, but we're going to be doing a lot of groaning, okay? At least this morning and next week, because the word groan will appear in uh, the readings that we have, I think, at least three times. And uh, I'm sure all of us from time to time like a good groan about things. Perhaps our children groan when you ask them to do some jobs at home, like, fill the dishwasher. I mean, you know, we used to have to wash everything up. When I was your age, there wasn't a dishwasher. Nobody had dishwashers, okay? So uh, count yourselves fortunate. Don't groan too much. But verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Have you noticed these verses before? The glory that will be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Have you ever noticed before the connection between us believers in the Lord Jesus 
and creation all around us. Well, these verses tell us clearly about this. So we do have to listen very carefully for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Who's that? That's us. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty, wait for it, of the children of God. So there it is, this link between creation and the children of God. Who's a child of God? I am. Well done, Josiah, that man. Excellent. And those that didn't put your hands up, if you want to talk to me afterwards, we'll go through a few basics, okay? Don't be afraid to stick your hand up and say, I'm a child of God. Okay? Would Jesus ever shy away from saying, Brian, you're mine? No. I wasn't picking on Brian because he didn't put his hand up. <laughs> it was just a... For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that we... Also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. This is, this is incredible what we're talking about here. Remember when we talked about uh, uh, Leviticus 23? Here's one of the references to the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Are you persevering? At this point, everyone's head should be shaking like this, okay? Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings, there it is again, which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints. Are there any saints here this morning? <laughs> of course there are. To the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover who he predestined. These he also called. Whom he called. These he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Wow, what a tremendous section of scripture. Uh, I've got to warn you, I can't do it justice. Okay, we haven't got time this morning, but we're going to use next week to try and help as well, because there's so much that is contained here. But uh, um, we could be... For, for quite a while looking at this section of scripture. So basically, Acts chapter 1 has gone through a number of the basic core requirements that we should all know and understand 
if we call ourselves believers, if we have been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are things that we can't uh, compromise on. uh, And we keep coming across people, don't we, who compromise on these things. The resurrection, for example. Well, you don't believe the resurrection of Jesus, do you? What, someone was raised from the dead? Well, of course we do, because without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have power in our lives. We are not able to be raised from the dead. And we know as we saw with our baptismal service last week, and again, I'm sorry, we should have prayed for for those, and we will do later, but, but we saw the picture of being raised out of the water because that's the picture of the resurrection. And, and just to say, there's already some that are talking about baptism again. So if you'd like to talk to me about baptism, it would be great if we had another service of believer's baptism when we move into the tent uh, before too long. So we understand that the resurrection is very important. And, and uh, Luke, uh, as he uh, speaks in chapter one, he just reminds us of these things. The kingdom of heaven. Are you part of the kingdom of heaven? Remember the fact that if our origin changes, because we've come to faith in Jesus, then that means that our destination changes. So this miracle takes place. It's almost unbelievable for us to understand. But one moment, we're in the world. Our feet are are mired in the mud and the muck of this world. And then suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're ripped out from that place and we're transplanted into heaven. And we rejoice in that because that means that our origin has changed, which means our destination has changed. It means we're going to heaven. And at this point, again, everybody says, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So this is the things that are so important. And of course, our witnessing. Don't let anybody ever say to you, we don't want to hear your testimony. We're not interested in what you've got to say. Of course they are. Because it is the testimony of God's people which will bring people into the kingdom. It's when you go outside into the street and when you talk to people, when you speak to people in your families, when you speak to people at school and college and university and all those other places and you tell them what your testimony is. This is what Jesus did for me. And he transplanted me. He took me out of this world and he brought me into heaven because our eternity has begun now. Not the day that you die physically in this world. It's begun now. Florrie's going to live forever, and he knows that. Okay, he's just a bit worried about his body sometimes because bits don't work as it should do. But he's not worried because he knows, and he keeps reminding of this. He says, I'm going to heaven. And it's a joy to be able to see this. So we understand the kingdom of heaven. Our witnessing is important. Our going into the world to proclaim the gospel. These are the things that we need to do. These are the things that are important to us. And if only the church have maintained its determination to go into the world and to preach the gospel, it's my firm belief that the Lord would have returned by now. But we chose not to. We've come up with every excuse possible not to venture out, not to talk to people, not to bring the gospel of peace in a world that desperately needs peace. We've chosen to hide. Well, not all of us. Some of, some of us enjoy going out. And Randy, we pray for you guys. And, and they need more to join them. Um, some girls particularly, okay? Because it's good to have pairs going out. Very, very biblical. And it's a good thing to be able to do this. So if you feel led uh, to do it. I'm reading a book at the moment uh, written by um, 
uh, Roger Carswell, entitled Evangelistic Living. Nobody can get away from the fact that you can be involved in evangelism. Just the way you breathe demonstrates your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we spent three weeks looking at the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing that it was because he returned to heaven that the Holy Spirit has been brought, that the power that we need in our lives is instilled in us because of his return, uh, his return to heaven. And this morning, uh, we come to the last few verses of, of Acts uh, 9 that we're looking at over these core doctrines. And it was verse 11, the last part of verse 11, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Luke is very simply reminding us that Jesus is returning. He's coming back. Jesus is returning one day. Now, it strikes me a lot of Christians today seem to have lost sight of this. If you talk to them, there's almost no excitement whatsoever. Well, you know, they've heard vaguely in the past somebody told them that Jesus is going to come again. Lots of them are quite happy that he doesn't rush because they've got an agenda of their own, all the things they want to do, the places in the world that they want to see, the experiences that they want to have, the relationships that they want to have, and so on. So Jesus, don't come back too soon because I'm not ready. If you know and love the Savior, you're ready. And you're looking to him to return. So the scene that we have in Acts chapter 1 is really very simple. As the disciples and as the believers around stood watching their Lord returning to heaven, they see him being taken up into glory. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus is returning home. But as they watch him being taken into glory, it's almost as though the hand of God comes down and grabs and surrounds Jesus because we're told that this cloud comes down and envelops him and then takes him up to be with himself, to be with his Father. And of course, Jesus had spoken on many occasions that he was returning to his Father. So that's the scene. And the reason why the scene is so important is because that we're told here in, uh, in uh, verse 11 that as they saw him go, so he would return in like manner. So the clouds will again bring Jesus back to us. But as they're staring, watching up, two angels appear. And these angels, they look like men. They're dressed in white, we're told. They were able to speak very clearly to those who were standing and looking up into the sky. And as they talk, they very gently rebuke the disciples and the believers, the apostles for what they're doing. Gently rebuke them. Because they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? There's work to be done. Jesus is coming back, but in the meanwhile, you've got a task. You've got a world that needs to hear the gospel. You've got a world that needs to know that Jesus is returning. You've got a world that needs to be ready for his return. Because you don't want to be 
not ready when Jesus returns. There's work to be done. The two angels give the believers assurance that Jesus Christ would come again. And they also explain the manner in which he would come, which will be descending from heaven, just as they've seen him being taken up into heaven. So we know all the details. And I would suggest that this uh, is referring, of course, to the public coming in the clouds that is spoken of in Matthew 24, verse 30, which says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will descend, and sorry, he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will, get, will gather together his elect from all the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now the point that we want to remember from these verses this morning is the assurance that Jesus is coming again. Because if you lose that assurance, you're in a very, very difficult position. Jesus in many places said that he himself said that he would be returning. And the theme of Romans 8 in those verses that we have read, 18 to 30, is there is no frustration. There is freedom from disappointment because Jesus Christ is coming again. We do not have to be concerned about this. It's a concluded fact. And it's this hope that keeps us going. Because if there was no hope that Jesus was returning, where would that leave us? Absolute hopelessness. But the scriptures are very clear. We're told to be looking. We're told to be watchful. And we'll read those verses in just a moment. It is this hope that keeps us going. But in these verses of scripture, there are some tough words that are being used. You could almost say disturbing words that are being used. By the way, on the subject of words, if you're doing the word search, you should be able to spot them. And in the next few minutes, they're going to come out one after the other. Okay? So you've got to start looking for some words uh, because they will start to, uh, to flow out very, very much. Okay? Paul begins by talking about suffering. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time... So the word suffering, again, is a word that we don't naturally want to have anything to do with. But it is a word that we are told we will face. As believers, in the last times, there will be suffering. And then it goes on and says, Are not worthy to be compared with the joy which shall be revealed in us? For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility. Now there's some words there. Creation, subjected, subjected to futility. That word futility, again, it's not a positive word. It's not one that we appreciate. Who wants to feel futile? But this is the warnings that we're given. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into glorious liberty of the children of God. So notice the word subjected, verse 20, and delivered, verse 21. 
shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Look at all these words that we have before us. Suffering, futility, bondage, corruption. What is it that we're actually seeing here? Well, I would suggest to you, and I have no doubts in saying that, but what we're seeing in all of these different words is a picture of the world in which we're living today. (coughs) Excuse me. It's a description of our country. It's a description of what we hear and see on the news daily. When the Christian looks around the world, it's very, very easy to be discouraged and to be disappointed because we live in a world of pain. Nobody will deny that. We're living in a groaning world. (coughs) We discover that creation is indeed groaning. And this morning I want us to look at the fact that creation is groaning because creation is waiting for the return of Jesus. So we're not surprised. It's waiting for the return of its creator. This is where we're going to begin um, just today and then next week. Uh, to look at this subject of these three groanings. So we're just going to take one today and the other two, which is ourselves groaning, the Holy Spirit groaning next week. So come along. And then, as I said, that brings us um, rather beautifully to uh, the day of Pentecost, um, which obviously is 50 days after Easter. So if you've ever wondered what June the 5th has got in common uh, with Easter, it's 50 days from Easter. Uh, Listening to the news, we know that the world is groaning. Now, I thought I'd just do a a little exercise to to just see exactly what's going on. So I chose yesterday to just go through the news, okay? So not not an in-depth study of what's going on in the world. Just what comes on the BBC News app, because it's nice, short, to the point, okay? So here we are. Bear with me. Governments need to stabilize the cost of food and energy for the poorest members of society. The head of the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, has told the BBC. People around the world are struggling with rising food costs. The next item. Parts of Spain are experiencing their hottest May ever with temperatures of more than 40 degrees centigrade in some places, according to the state weather agency. The country of India has experienced unbelievable temperatures since March. I think I'm right in saying up to about 49 degrees in temperature. A tornado left 43 people injured as it cut a path of destruction through several towns in western Germany. Very unusual. Officers in the city of Paderborn said the tornado ripped off roofs. Debris was strewn around for kilometers. Ten people seriously injured. One woman's life is in danger and a 38-year-old man died. More than 80 cases of monkeypox have been confirmed in at least 12 countries. And today in other two countries, Israel and uh, Switzerland. The World Health Organization says it has no idea why these things are happening. Outbreaks of hepatitis amongst children. No idea what's going on. In the last days, there will be pestilences. Okay? 
scientists have drawn up a little list, uh, sorry, a list of little-known plants that could be on the menu by 2050. In the future, you could be breakfasting on false bananas or snacking on panadunus tree fruit. The Ukraine war has highlighted the dangers of relying on a few globally traded crops, with 90% of calories coming from just 15 crops. Experts at the Royal Botanical Gardens in Kew have said we've got to find more sustainable food. Sri Lanka has defaulted on its debt for the first time in its history as the country struggles with, its f with the worst financial crisis and joins the likes of Argentina and a number of other countries, Lebanon, and the list is growing. And here's one I thought was just a bit of a laugh, really. French shoppers are facing a sour sight in supermarkets this summer, no mustard. The nationwide shortage is due to a lack of mustard seed needed to produce the condiment. Severe drought in Canada, poor harvests in France, and the war in Ukraine have combined to reduce the supplies of mustard seed available to producers. Well, you know, if mustard's what gives you a bit of a tickle, it's a problem, isn't it? But we're beginning to see, and that was just yesterday, there are things going on in the world which we should be concerned about. And we recognize that it's happening. If you read the papers and you see that the world is groaning, not just from physical events, but those, uh, as I say, include things like temperatures and stuff. Did, did you see the pictures of that um, underwater volcanic explosion in Tonga or near Tonga back in January? And you see a picture of, of the world and then suddenly there's bang and there's this huge swirl that takes place. It was the biggest ever e uh, recorded explosion ever. And that was January this year. And plagues, COVID-19, still causing problems. Friends, there's more to come. Economies that are teetering on the edge. Food prices are rising here. But imagine if you were only earning a couple of dollars a day and you're facing food price increases like this. And there's, then there's the wickedness of man. The days of Sodom. And all these things that are going on, and we see them clearly even in our own community. Each one of us at one time or another has said, Oh Lord, how long? How long will it be? It's easy to become frustrated in the world today. But there's the thing. As Christians, we should not be disappointed. As Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not in despair. We're not frustrated even. We're not going to give in. Why? Because we understand what is going on in this world if we read our Bibles, if we listen to God speaking, it's not going to get better. But don't be taken in by what you hear and see. Romans 8 talks about groaning. And when we understand the groanings recorded here, it will help us to understand what's going on in the world. Verses 18 to 22 of Romans 8, creation is groaning. Verses 23 to 25, Believers are groaning. People who know and love the Lord Jesus are groaning because we're waiting for his return. And verses 26, 27, the Holy Spirit is groaning. Everybody's groaning. And if you understand these three groans, you'll understand what's going on in the world and what you're supposed to be doing as a believer.
the hope that you can have as a believer. So this morning we just very briefly look at the first of uh, these uh, groanings 18 to 22 for we know that the whole of creation groans and labors with birth pangs. Three simple statements to summarize the matter for us. Number one, God made a good creation. How do we know that? Because he looked down and said, it's good. All right, if God thought it was good, it was good. Number two, that creation became a groaning creation. Anyone want to argue that? We see it all around us, it's groaning. But number three, one day, it's going to be again a glorious creation. Okay. You see, when God made that creation, it was good. Genesis 1.10, and God saw that it was good. But what was good about the creation when it came from the hand of God and the heart and the mind of God? Well, to begin with, the creation worked in harmony. Heaven and earth worked together in harmony. All of nature was in harmony. There was beauty. And there was unity. You see, the division of sin, because that's what sin does, it always brings division. It brings division in families. Children are divided from their parents because of sin. Husbands and wives are divided from each other because of sin. Division is brought by sin. And it was sin that came into God's creation and it brought division. If you've been coming along and you were there last Sunday evening, we looked at, uh, not last Sunday, the Sunday before, we looked at King Adam. The fact that he had dominion over creation and all was good. Now a couple of, uh, three Sundays or so, evenings ago, my wife and I attended Markdale Baptist Church where Chris Crocker is the pastor. Chris is a friend of ours and he was a pastor here of this fellowship uh, when my wife and I began to come along. And on Sunday evening, he had an informal um, uh, Bible study looking at Genesis chapter 1. And he was talking, and then suddenly he stopped. And, and, and he asked a question. He said, so just for a moment, what do you think the world was like before sin came into it? Now, you know, that's an incredibly hard question. to I did feel sorry for the lady who said, we didn't wear any clothes. <laughs> But of course she was right. <laughs> I can see some of you are sort of like looking very anxiously at the moment. But what a difficult question to ask. What was the world like before sin came into it? It's almost impossible for us to be able to answer that question because we just don't know. The best we can do is to imagine. It's a difficult question. Why? Because we only know a sinful world. But the world was not always like it is now. Originally, creation was in the hands of God. It was beautiful. God had made a good creation. But it became a groaning creation. And how did that happen? It happened because of man. Romans 5 tells us the whole story, doesn't it? And we looked at that two weeks ago on Sunday evening. Verse 12, therefore, just as through one man, one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus spread death to all men, to all women, because all sinned. Who was that one man? It was Adam. What did he do? He disobeyed God. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to be like God. 
That's the reason why. You see, he disturbed, he disrupted God's pattern. He wanted to defy God. And ever since, man has been defying God. Daily we see and hear about man defying God. You see, God made man to be the head of creation. He was given dominion. God made Adam a king and we're supposed to be kings. And according to the scriptures, when we are in Christ, we are able to reign again. When man sinned, he became, he became a slave. And today man is torn between being a king made in God's image and being a slave possessed by sin. And that's what creates the problems in our world today. Yes, there are times when mankind can act well. There are times when we can be kind and gracious to other people. There are times when we will go out of our way to help other countries. And Canada has a good record on that front. There are times when we can begin, just for a moment, to begin to show how we should be living. And then suddenly we click back into the lowest common denominator again and sin rules. You know why we have ecological problems today? It's because man doesn't want to submit to God. <coughs> we're destroying God's creation because we are defying God's revelation. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the book of Revelation, we're told that God is going to destroy those people who are destroying his world. Revelation 11, verse 18. Acid rain, polluted water, devastated lands, all because of greed. And God's going to destroy these people, the scriptures tell us. Why is he doing this? Man. Why is he doing it? Lust and greed. Desire for more money, more power. And now we're reaping the consequences. Paul gives us the characteristics of uh, creation since man's spiritual death, uh, since man's disobedience in the garden. It's a suffering creation all around us. It's a groaning creation. This is the world we're in because of man's sin. And so creation came from the hand of God. It was good. And man made it into a groaning creation. But please note something very important. That groaning is the groaning of birth pangs. Notice that. Paul is saying that even creation is waiting expectantly for something to happen. The world in which we live is waiting just as we should be for Jesus to return. Because he created it. And it knows that he is coming. The Bible tells us creation is waiting expectantly for something to happen. And do you know what it is? It's the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see, man and creation are bound together according to these verses. And God has ordained that when man sinned, creation fell with him. But God has also ordained that when Jesus Christ returns, God's church is caught up in glory, then creation will be delivered. And then God will be able to put his glory upon his creation again. Notice verse 19. 
What is creation doing? Creation is eagerly expecting and watching for the manifestation, the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is watching us. What does it mean? It means when our glory shall be revealed in Christ. You see, the creation is subject to all of this pain and futility, not willingly. It wasn't the fault of creation. It was the fault of man. God ordained that creation should be made subject to futility and hope. Verse 20. And God has subjected creation in hope because death came into the world and brought all of this bondage and slavery and decay. God sent his son to come into the world to die and to deliver us from bondage and corruption and decay. So you see the first Adam led creation into ruin. The last Adam, that is Jesus Christ, will bring creation once again into righteousness and glory. One day creation is going to be delivered. One day the groaning and the travailing will give birth to glory. Creation is groaning for glory. But what about you? Are you groaning for glory? You should be. Our groaning should be a great motivation for faithful Christian service. Uh, I was going to read uh, Luke uh, 12, 34 to 48, but what I'd like to do is to suggest that you read that at home. Um, it's a tremendous section of Scripture, and it talks about the fact that you need to be ready. Okay, It talks about the fact that you don't want to be caught by surprise when the heavens open and you see the hand of God reaching down and bringing his son back again. Because if, if you are, it's going to be tricky for you, to say the least. In fact, it's going to be devastating. So, I'll just talk about it. It says, the amazing thing that this section of Scripture is that the master serves the servant. You see, King Jesus will minister to his faithful servants when he greets us at his return. And he will reward us for our faithfulness. There are people today who are falling over backwards to demonstrate their lack of faithfulness to God. Churches that are emptier than they should be because people are no longer faithful. Notice the word watch that appears in verse 37. It means to be alert. It means to be ready. It means not to be caught by surprise. And this is the attitude we must have towards the return of our Savior. I'm going to let you into a little secret. It's not actually much of a secret really. But there are people here, as we mentioned earlier, that just don't want Jesus to return at the moment because they've got those plans that they want to fulfill and to see happen. And that's sad. And I close by making this statement, and it's, it's a terrible statement. You see, there are some people even here this morning who the only heaven they will ever know 
for all eternity is their life here in this world. This is the only heaven you will know if you do not come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the best, you know, the pressure you're under financially at the moment, the arguments you have with your wife and your children, the way they treat you at work. This is the best you'll ever know. This, this, is, this is the pinnacle. If you do not turn to the Savior and confess your need of his saving grace, and I plead with you, call to the Lord now for salvation. He's speaking to you. We've listened to him speaking to us in his word this morning. And he's waiting to hear from you. And with open arms, he will welcome you into heaven.